Bible with you this morning. Uh, turn with me to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. Luke is continuing to tell us uh, the story, the uh, expansion of the church. Uh, to think uh, that the church began with 120 in an upper room and uh, 3,000 added to it, and they continued to grow in favor. The Lord continued to uh, add to their number as the word went forth. And that's uh, the story we find in Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, Luke writes, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately... His feet and ankles were made strong, and leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man his perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you had acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that as Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time of re for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days, You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. 
Father, as we turn our attention to your word concerning your son, we pray that we would indeed listen to Jesus. There is no higher name, there is no higher word than the word of Christ uh, for us to commit our lives to. And we pray this morning, if there are any who have not trusted in Christ for salvation, that you would open their eyes and open their understanding of their heart for their great need for him. For this we pray in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. Luke uh, tips his hand uh, to his medical background uh, as he turns uh, uh, his attention again to a miracle. He follows the same pattern as he did in chapter 2. He uh, begins addressing a a wonder performed by the apostles, whereas in chapter 2 it was uh, them speaking in the languages of everyone in attendance at the day of Pentecost. Here it's a healing of a man who had been lame his life. And uh, just like a doctor would, uh, he, he lays out the man's medical history. Uh, you go to a doctor for a first time, they want to know your history. They want to know how long the problem's been bothering you. That way they can come up with an accurate diagnosis. And so uh, Luke lays out this man's medical history in verse 2, that he was a l- man lame from birth. And later on he's going to expand upon that, that for 40 years this man had been crippled. He had never walked. He had never leaped. He had never taken his first steps. His whole life he went from being cared for by his parents to living as a beggar laid at the beautiful gate. It was called beautiful because it was uh, the one gate in Jerusalem covered with Corinthian copper. Josephus in his uh, works uh, describes it as the most uh, beautiful gate there in Jerusalem. Imagine a nice shining copper gate to welcome you. Uh, He actually said it was uh, more beautiful uh, than other gates that might have been made of gold or silver. And so this man every day had made his life begging. There was no social security. There was no disability. Uh, He was entirely dependent upon alms. He was entirely dependent upon charity. And in this context, Peter and John are going up to the temple. They're going at the third hour, the hour of prayer. They prayed regularly. Again, that marked uh, the people of God. And as they're going up to pray in the temple courtyard, they see the man and they call the man's attention to himself. I don't know if you've ever been in a city context uh, where there are homeless people, but if you get a homeless person's attention, they think that you want their attention for one reason or one one reason only, and that's to give them something. Notice Peter, verse 4, directs his gaze at him, and as did John, and they say, look at us. They looked at him, he looked at them. He's expecting to get something in return, and rather than receiving alms, uh, uh, he receives an announcement of the church announcing its bankruptcy. Notice what Peter says in verse 6. Peter said, I have no gold and silver. Nothing to give him, nothing to lay in his hand. Uh, very intru- uh, one commentator notes uh, how different this is from contemporary Christianity. Well, contemporary Christianity, there's a desire to brag about uh, numbers and what one has. They say, we have nothing. We have no alms to give you. But they had something better. They had something better than all the money, all the alms. They could have given this man all the gold and silver in the world and it would have paled in comparison to the gift he's going to receive. I have no silver and gold, but what I do, I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. 
man has never walked in his entire life. He's never had his first steps. And not because the miracle is incomplete, but because imagine telling somebody who has never walked in their life, okay, get up and walk. Peter, to show him that he could do this, Peter reaches out his hand. He meets him where he is. He takes him in verse 7. He took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately, not a process, not weeks of physical therapy, not months of physical therapy, but immediately Luke tells us his feet and ankles were made strong. They were made so strong that we're told in verse 8, he was leaping up and stood up and began to walk. So he's leaping and jumping for joy. He's never walked before and he can jump. He's leaping for joy because the one thing he had never been able to do in his whole life, he could finally do. Leaping, he stood up and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. These people had seen him for years. He was a fixture. We don't have a static homeless population like some urban areas, but when we lived in Louisville, there were homeless people you knew. There were homeless people in the area of town that we lived in that I knew. There was a one-armed gentleman who was always around. You, you knew who the beggars were. You knew who the homeless people were in the side of town that you lived in. And so people knew this man, and they knew something remarkable had happened because their entire lives that they could look back on, they remembered this is the guy who was brought to the gate, would beg, and brought back home after his day of begging. This man who had never walked before was jumping and praising God. And so in verse 10, it tells us they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And Peter, knowing what the crowd is going to think, is going to give us the explanation for what happened. Now, if this happened today, we'd be tempted to think, oh, it's a... A faith healer. That person has the power to heal people. Jesus and the Jesus taught his apostles well, and they were under no confusion as to where healing came from. Notice what Peter's going to say. So the man's clinging to Peter and John while all the people are astounded. In verse 12, Peter addresses the people. He says, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? Peter's saying, don't think that this miracle is from us. Uh, In our Sunday school class, uh, we've been watching a a series called The American Gospel. And there's a terrible thing that's gone on for the past several decades in in Christian circles. uh, This idea of the faith healer is this person who, because of their power or piety, can go around healing people. Now, we know that God can heal people. We know that healings occur today. Every day, there's a doctor somewhere that finds a miraculous healing that they cannot medically explain. Peter understood that this wasn't in his power. Peter understood that while God used Peter and John to bring healing to this man, that it didn't come from Peter. Peter understood that what Jesus had told him in the Gospel of John, remember in John chapter 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. 
Peter understood it wasn't because he was a more righteous person or a more powerful person that this person could walk. He understood that the reason why this man could walk was the very reason that Jesus was able to make other people walk, that God was proving his truthfulness. The author of Hebrews, in explaining the purpose of the miracle, said that God bore witness uh, to the apostles through signs and wonders. Everything that we're going to see in Acts, everything that we've seen so far and we're going to see afterwards, was God demonstrating the truth of the gospel message that the apostles bore. It wasn't the apostles going around in their own strength and power to build a name for themselves, going around healing people on their own. It was God healing people. Again, Peter says, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? Points the attention away from themselves. You know, Asbury and the what's going on there have been an ongoing topic of conversation. We understand biblically when something is a work of God's spirit, it will draw the attention away, the people involved will draw the attention away from themselves and to God. That's what Peter's doing there. He's saying, don't look at me, look at God. God is the one who did this. He continues in verse 13. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus. God did this, he's saying. God is doing this to demonstrate the truthfulness of Jesus' life and ministry. What had begun in the gospel ministry of Jesus is continuing on in the ministry of the apostles. God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. He's reminding them of where they stand. Now again, many of these individuals who are standing amazed at what God has done through Peter and the apostles in healing this man had denied Christ when he had been railroaded in the worst trial in the history of the human race, and Pilate, seeing that there was no fault in him, a desire to release him, uh, they clamored that he be crucified. They clamored that he be put to death. They cried out that they had no king but Caesar. And so Peter reminds them of where they stand, that this Jesus whom God had bore witness to, both in his life and now after his resurrection, when he's ascended to heaven through the ministry of the apostles, God continues to bear witness to the truth of Christ. And so he reminds them in verse 14, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. You handed him over. You had him killed. You killed the author of life, but he didn't stay dead because he's the author of life. And to explain more fully what happened, he continues in verse 16. And his name, the 
Jewish understanding, a name was more than just a name. A name uh, represented the whole person. You couldn't separate uh, somebody's name from who they are, which is why the significance of Moses of the burning bush when God makes his name known as Yahweh. And so Peter is basically saying the person of Jesus and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. Peter is saying it's not me and John. We're not holy and righteous individuals uh, who can go around doing this. It is Jesus exalting his name. God exalting the name of Jesus because the name of Jesus is the name above every name. It is Jesus that healed this man. Made him the strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So he's explained why it happened. But Jesus and the apostles never performed a miracle simply for a miracle's sake, to draw a crowd. There was always a purpose for it. Uh, we know in light of the ministry of Jesus, one of the reasons for his miracles is that he was pointing to his power and authority over death, disease, and darkness, and what he's going to do for us in the future, but he also did it as a sign of judgment to come, to establish his ministry. And so after this miracle occurs and he has explained why it has occurred, he applies what it means for them. He's told them that they have denied Jesus. They've handed him over to be killed. They've killed the author of life. God has raised him from the dead. And in the name of Jesus, this man has been healed. There's power in the name. So what does it mean for them? Verse 17, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that as Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. They, God had a plan. God knew what they would do. But they still bore responsibility for their actions. And the scriptures uh, nowhere put a contrast between divine sovereignty and his knowledge of the future and human responsibility. God's plan was fulfilled, but there was a responsibility for them. And so Peter calls them to repentance. Peter is basically saying that this healing is proof that Jesus is who he said he was. It's proof of the witness that they had been bearing. And so he calls them in verse 19, repent therefore. That therefore is in light of everything that he has said. Repent therefore because Jesus is a living Savior. Because he has been taken up into heaven. Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Yes, they acted in ignorance. But ignorance will be no excuse when the day of judgment comes. Imagine driving down Sparrow Lane and you're going 65 and a police officer pulls you over. Not that there are ever any cops on Sparrow Lane. Just imagine you were. And you say, well, I, I didn't know I couldn't drive 65 on Sparrow Lane. You're still going to get a speeding ticket. Peter's telling them, though they acted out of ignorance, their ignorance has been removed. This very miracle has opened their eyes to the truth of who Jesus is. And so he says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. 
and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom the heaven must receive until the time of restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. He's telling them uh, that there's going to be times of refreshing, but this Jesus who has been taken up into heaven is going to return again. He's going to bring restoration. And if they're going to have any part of the renewed and restored creation, uh, uh, they're going to have to be forgiven people. They're going to have to repent of their sins because God had promised long ago how things were going to happen. And so he continues in verse 22. But Moses said, The Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Remember, uh, all, all the prophets performed all sorts of signs and wonders. You know, Moses and Aaron bringing plague upon plague upon Egypt. What Peter is saying is that Jesus is the last prophet. He is the one to whom we are to listen to. And if we will not listen to him, uh, there only remains uh, the fearful expectation of destruction. Peter is saying that all the Old Testament, all 39 books of the Old Testament were pointing to Jesus. All the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your father, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Peter's telling them that they have been given the opportunity of repentance. We think of the life and ministry of the apostles. Think of the boldness of Peter. You know, Peter, uh, who couldn't keep his foot out of his mouth, is now boldly proclaiming Christ. Peter, who, who often desired the, the limelight. John, who with his brother James had uh, requested Jesus, hey, uh, can you do one thing for us? Let us sit on your right and your left when you enter into your kingdom. What an amazing thing the Holy Spirit has done with these disciples. Rather than desiring the attention upon themselves, that they rightly point the attention to Christ. And I'm calling the lost to repentance. You know, we think of the state the world is in. We think of the confusion that, that goes on in the world. We think of uh, some of the gross distortions that pass uh, for Christianity. What we need is more of this. You know, they're following the line of John the Baptist. Remember when John the Baptist heard that Jesus was baptizing more people than he was? What did John the Baptist reply to his followers? He must increase and I must decrease. Peter is decreasing. Peter's not trying to make a, a bunch of followers for himself. Uh, one of the uh, church historian in the early 20th century uh, by the name of Harnack tried to argue uh, that Peter kind of created his own form of Christianity. Now, if you're a good student in church history, you understand that there was only one true Christianity. It, it was what the apostles, Peter and John, the 11, what Paul held to. And it wasn't about them. It's about him. We think about uh, 
why we are here today. We often think, wouldn't it be great for miracles to happen? Well, the greatest miracle of all is repentance. The greatest miracle is though Jesus had been handed over to die and he died for our sins. God has raised him and loosed him from death so that we could be forgiven. Second greatest miracle is that he has given us a message. And I'm thankful for the ministry of the Gideons. You know, they, they bring the word out, and as we think about what Peter is saying here, we know that it is a word of repentance. It's a word that removes the barrier of ignorance and calls all men everywhere to repent. And we think about why we are here and what we do with our lives and how we relate to those who are outside of Christ. Now, if we're going to be faithful to the word and we're going to be faithful to the witness of the apostles, then we too will be required to call those who are far from God to repent. And when we do and they do, what a glorious thing happens. Again, uh, revival's on everyone's minds. What what happens uh, when God's people are bold as they ought to be and call a world in darkness and rebellion to repentance? Well, Peter says that there are times of refreshing that come from the presence of the Lord. That's what revival is. When God's people are intentional about their evangelism. Think about how easy it would have been for Peter to say, yep. Yep, I healed this guy. Yep, I did it. Now, if you, if you guys, everyone else in the crowd would like their illnesses healed, uh, uh, pony up some money, and, and we'll get everyone taken care of today. He doesn't do that. Points the attention away from himself to Christ and uses the truthfulness of Christ, resurrection, and his lordship to call them to Repentance. With a promise of judgment to come. See, the truth of the matter is uh, that many people uh, have tried to change and soften the message. And it's often lamented that many uh, will argue that repentance uh, seems to have no place in the modern gospel. You know, even in our conservative circles, I think uh, uh, Lifeways, the ABCs, you know, admit to God that you're a sinner. Believe that God sent Jesus to save everyone and confess your faith and Jesus is your Savior and your Lord. What's missing there? Repentance. You can look at Bill Bright's four spiritual laws. What's missing with his four spiritual laws? Repentance. Peter understands that one thing is needed above all else. After looking to Christ, what is needed is repentance. Repentance. Because apart from repentance, there is no forgiveness of sin. Apart from repentance, there is no biblical gospel. We could admit we're sinners till we're blue in the face. But you could admit it and not feel sorry about it. There are many individuals in our day and age who will say, Yeah, I'm a sinner. I'm like, Yeah, I'm a alcoholic or a drug addict or sexually promiscuous. You know, it's, it wasn't too long ago uh, there was the whole shout your abortion. 
We live in a day and time where many individuals say, yes, I'm a sinner. So what? We bring the message that, that their sin separates them from a holy and righteous God. Their sin separates them as much from God as the, Peter's original hearers do. And apart from repentance and faith towards Christ, there is destruction. There is only the fearful expectation of destruction for all those without faith in Christ. And biblically what that means is eternal conscience torment in hell for all of eternity. Peter understood that there was a judgment day coming. See, we need to be reminded of that just as much as our non-Christian friends need to be aware uh, that there is a great need for repentance, they need to be aware that there's a judgment coming. They're, they're not going to stand before a jury of their peers uh, who are going to say, well, you know, everybody makes mistakes, nobody's perfect. They're going to stand before the one judge who is perfect, who has always done right, and who has died for their pardon, and they have refused it unless they come to trust him now. As we come to this time of invitation, we understand why we are still here. We are still here because we are called to be salt and light. We are called to remind the world of the gospel that brings blessing to everyone by turning them from their wickedness. Again, that's not a, a very popular term. You know, the 80s brought with it the seeker-sensitive movement. You know, how many people want to be told that they're wicked? You know, imagine uh, how, how many of us would want to be told, hey, you're wicked. That's the biblical testimony of us. We are wicked. We are sinners. And if we're going to be faithful to the risen Christ, the author of life, who has given us first life and died so that through faith in him we could have eternal life. And we're going to have to be honest with ourselves about who we are outside of Christ. We're going to have to be honest with those that we come across who are outside of Christ. But there is hope. See, the truth of the matter is if you're a Christian right now, you're not in your wickedness anymore. If you've repented on biblical terms, then you have received the blessing. You've been turned from your wickedness. We, like the apostles, stand in a long stream of individuals who are calling the world to repentance. And in that repentance, which is God's grace toward them, they're turned. And as we come to this time of invitation, I ask you, have you repented on biblical terms? Have you uh, is your Christian faith uh, simply, uh, I believe in Jesus with no room for repentance? No awareness of your absolute need for him? It's only when we clearly understand who we are outside of his grace that we see our need for his grace. It is only when we are confronted with the truth of our condition that we are sinners, rebels, wicked that we truly see our need to come to him for forgiveness. See, genuine saving faith is far more than just giving intellectual assent to the truth of the gospel. Now think of a, a, a life preserver. 
You don't know how to swim and you're drowning. Somebody could throw a life preserver at you and you could think, yes, that's a life preserver. I, I know it's capable of keeping me afloat. But it does you no good to intellectually know that and not cling to it for dear life. The gospel of Jesus will do you no good unless you've come to the point where you cling to him for dear life. And so as we come to this time of invitation, if you've not clung to him for dear life, I invite you to do so. The invitation for you as believers is when you leave this door, you go into a world that has been sold a pack of lies, both by the world itself and sometimes by those who claim to be Christians. We've told them, oh, you're, you're good deep down. You just make mistakes. You're not a bad person. Whereas the Word of God tells us we're all wicked. We're all crooked deep down. And we're in need of His grace. And we call them, we call everyone that we come across to repentance in light of their wickedness. Knowing that the same Jesus who is living and active through the ministry of the apostles is living and active in the world today. And that he can and does grant repentance. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. And as we come to this time of invitation, I pray that our heart's attention, our mind's attention would be upon your son and all that he's done for us. We pray this, if there are any who have not repented of their sins, who have not seen their wickedness in light of your goodness and sending your son to live and die for the forgiveness of sins, that they would come running to Christ and cling to him for dear life. Or we have not been bold in calling a lost and dark world to repentance. We pray that you would stir us anew, knowing that your gospel is your power unto salvation, to everyone who believes. And so we pray that we would be bold and calling for repentance and faith in Christ. For this we pray in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.